Thank you for the phone call of allowing me, your, your elders calling me and asking me to fill your pulpit today. And uh, uh, just a whole lot of things. Uh, historically, in our churches, uh, evangelists used to come and visit, and they would make commentary on the Sunday before the revival meeting, and they would make commentary on the worship services. And there are all kinds of wonderful things I could make commentary that I've seen here this morning. The friendliness of the church, you're, you're following the Lord's example in the Lord's table and the tithes and offerings. Uh, the example about the monument uh, in your commune meditation, boy, I'll tell you, uh, if you've never gotten to Rush, uh, uh, Mount Rushmore, you ought to go if you haven't ever been there. Uh, I think, too, uh, you know, you, you go and see some of these marvelous things that are amazing. My wife and I got to go to the, to the ark experience this summer. If you ever get a chance to take your kids down to see the ark uh, that they built. My goodness, you look at that and the dimensions of it. Uh, worked on for 120 years. That was something for those folks. But it really is amazing. And you get out of your vehicle and you look and you go, whoa, hello. <laughs> and uh, when you realize, too, how quickly life uh, moves. Uh, my wife and I, a couple of weeks ago, got to attend uh, uh, the worship, and I got to preach at a church where I served for 10 years from 1979 to 1989 uh, in uh, Jamestown, Ohio. They asked me to come back and speak, and it was our 46th wedding anniversary. And they were so kind. And to show you how quickly, most of those people that were leaders when I was there are gone to glory. The elders were all gone except one. And I had a young couple come up to me. They were young when I married them. They said, uh, you don't remember us maybe right off the top of your head. I said, well, I remember your faces. They said, oh, we, would you like to meet our great-grandchildren? <laughs> and I said, no. <laughs> so time and tide, as the old poet said, wait for no man. And so we're going to make every moment count and uh, uh, talk about the Lord Jesus Christ and talk about the apostles and talk about, uh, uh, I'm not going to keep you long today, I just want us to think about some important factors that build the New Testament church. And uh, they started, uh, many of them, in the first of course with Jesus, promising to build his church, but also in the book of Acts, we see some dramatic and uh, spiritually guiding directives. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, turn with me to Acts chapter 10. And we're going to talk about Peter preaching the first uh, a gospel sermon to the Gentiles, per se. Now, Gentiles had heard the gospel before this. Uh, you know, you have Philip preaching in Samaria. You have Philip going, the Lord comes and tells him to go over here. There's this eunuch going down from, a, a Jewish guy going from Jerusalem down to Ethiopia. He was the queen of Candace, the Ethiopian, a very prominent person we know about. And uh, he <coughs> shared this wonderful message, and we have the example in the 8th chapter of Acts of those events. But uh, let me share this passage, and then we're going to co make commentary earlier on this great story. So we'll look at this, and we'll consider three brief points that I think will bless you today. Verse 34, and this is Peter after he's arrived at the house of Cornelius, the Gentile, and here is his sermon officially, as an apostle, to these Gentiles. Verse 34, then Peter began to speak. I now realize, in a moment we'll talk about why he realized. 
how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation that fear him and do what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, telling the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee, after, he, after the baptism that John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went about doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. Amen? Amen. Amen. We, Paul's an apostle, were witnesses, and also a disciple of Jesus, witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed us as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Let us pray. Father, thank you today for the gathering of these precious souls here at the Ferris Church of Christ, for their efforts over the decades and centuries, and Jesus, Jesus tarries in the future, that they will be faithful with the preaching of the word here, and that people will hear Christ Jesus' great message, the, the message preached by Peter on the day of Pentecost, that old Jerusalem message that built the church, and its power, the Holy Spirit, within the lives of every one of us. And Father, we pray for clarity today. We pray for help and strength. Lift up the fallen. Convict the sinner. Bring hope in your name that people would know you no matter what their physical, mental, emotional condition today, that they would come to him, because in him is life and hope and eternal life. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we're going to begin by asking a question. How do we get to this dramatic scene of Peter preaching at a house of Gentiles, which by Jewish law was taboo. You didn't do that. You weren't allowed to even be near them. Well, if you go back, and I'll quickly paraphrase the story here, and uh, the first point I want to make in this message is Cornelius receives a visit. Receives a visit. Now, if you go back here in, in the early part of chapter 10, uh, uh, Cornelius it lives in and Caesarea. Now, if you have your Bible maps and you open up the back of your Bible, you can see the, uh, usually it's a map that's at the time of Jesus, uh, Palestine or of Israel. And on the coast there is the, the city of Caesarea. And uh, this is a famous city. It's a city built, uh, really built up by Herod the Great, the, the, the Herod of the Christmas story. And he built this seaport there. And uh, the Romans helped him, and he built it so that on that coast, uh, the, his kingdom would receive and be able to, to have a great co commercial connection with the Roman Empire. And Caesarea uh, was great, and it, the, the Romans showed him the technology of pouring cement through seawater. 
And that was a big techno technological building product of the day. And he built that great and famous uh, port there. Well, Cornelius was a famous Roman centurion, which meant he was over 100 soldiers. And then a legion at the first century, the Roman legion was comprised, comprised of 6,000 men. And uh, of these, 60 of these fellows uh, were there, over these uh, 100. And he was one of these guys. And we're even told he was of the Italian regiment, which are mentioned in Roman sources. So we, we, th th this fellow was no kind of ordinary Joe. He was very important. And this is an old regiment that has been there for many years and knows what's going on. And he has this, this visit from an angel that tells him, uh, your prayers and gifts of the poor have gone up in the memorial offering to God. And then he tells him, go to Joppa. Now, if you've got your picture map out, Caesarea is in the north part of this, uh, of this coastal area of Palestine and Israel. But when you go south, you come down to Joppa. And uh, Joppa was this city where Peter was. And Peter's there one day on top of his housetop. Now, in the ancient world, and that's part of the world in the Near East, everything happened on the roof. <laughs> the reason for that was because of the hot sun and everything people didn't stay in their homes, they didn't have air conditioning like we do, like we've had, been glad we've had in the last few uh, weeks, you know. Uh, and so they would go up on the roof in the evenings. Sometimes they would try to have shade trees if they could to stand around and keep the place fairly cool. But they, everything happened on the rooftop. And Peter's there. And Peter, as an apostle by this time, he's seen, you know, the, the great drama of the day of Pentecost. He's preached the sermon on Pentecost fulfilling the promise that Jesus told him. Remember, Jesus turned to those fellows in another place of Caesarea Philippi, which weighs way up in the north of Palestine. And at the end of Jesus' ministry, earthly ministry, he turns to those uh, 12 guys and he says, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And some say, well, some say you're Elijah or Jeremiah, one of the prophets. And then he turns to them, you know, Jesus doesn't let us get off the hook does he? He gets real personal. He says, well, who do you say I am? And I'll paraphrase here and say, you guys I've been living with for three and a half years. <laughs> You're like a parent, you know, it's like your mother. Your mother ne never let you get off the hook, right? Or dad. They always say, what did you do here? And uh, they would always check on you, see. Well, that's what Jesus did. Who do you say I am? And Peter speaks up. You know, Peter had hoof and mouth disease. He was always speaking at first. He was the guy there. And uh, he said, uh, King James, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Peter says, and Jesus says, yes, flesh and blood's not revealed this to you, Peter, but my father which is in heaven. And I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom. Oh, well, on Pentecost, he used the first key, bing. And as he preached the gospel there on Pentecost in Acts 2, we in the Church of Christ know about Acts 2, don't we? Uh, 3,000 respond to the gospel. Well, we get here to Acts 10, and guess what he's going to get to do? Well, he doesn't know it yet, but he's going to get messengers going to come. But before that happens, he has, he has a vision. So Cornelius gets a visit from the angel. Peter has a vision because what happens is down comes this sheet out of heaven. And in the sheet are all these animals that are non-kosher. And for a Jew, 
You didn't touch them. You didn't uh, consider them in your diet. And you especially you didn't sacrifice non-kosher animals in your worship experience out of the old Torah, the teachings of Moses, and so forth. So, God says to him, hey, or Jesus tells him, everything I've created is good for me. He's trying to tell him that the dietary laws are now, are defunct now because of the new covenant in Christ. And so Peter, being a good Jew, <laughs> nothing, I've never touched any of this stuff. I've never, I've been a good Jew in these areas. Jesus <laughs> says, rise, Peter, kill and eat. Now, did Peter get the message the first time? No. How many times did he have to do that? Three. He's like us. Have you ever been so hard-headed God had to get to you about three or four or five times? Maybe a few more times. <laughs> yeah. So, that's what's going on here. So, uh, after three times, you know, and we have a couple days that are elapsing from Cornelius to to the knock comes to the door there in Joppa from the fellows that are coming from Cornelius' house. And, uh, and so it's time to go. And uh, Peter, the next day, it says, then Peter goes with that group and they go up to Caesarea. And this commences the story of the text we read today. So let's take a minute to look at this, some of the details of this text. I'm going to read a poem and we'll be done today. But if, there's so much in here, so much great theology for you and I, That'll help get you through this week and help you love one another and help you love the message and help you love Jesus even more because all of us don't know whether we'll be here next week. <laughs> Just stay with the theme that you've already given us today, okay? All right. Well, Peter then gets to the house with his Jewish buddies that came with him. And they come to the house of Cornelius with that group. Now, Cornelius, remember, he's no, uh, uh, you know, uh, sub-sergeant or something like that. He is a centurion. He is, he is a, a major general in this work. And he has proved himself in battle at many times. He's a great administrator. He knew what was going on. He had intelligence, a service of intelligence that went out that whole area. He knew about what... Peter's going to preach about it in a minute. So, okay. Peter began to speak. He says, truly, I know that God <laughs> doesn't show favoritism. He says, oh, man, you know what happened to me. Maybe he even told him this story. I was sitting on top of my house, and then down came this sheep, and all these unclean animals, and God showed me three times. But God doesn't show you favoritism. For God, everybody's the same. Now, us, that doesn't sound any more... I don't think that's a big newsflash for any of us here. But for the first century, some of these people began to think only they were so special. The Jews did especially. And, and there were Gentile groups that did the same thing. And that's the, one of the great revolutionary truths of the gospel. We go into the world. We sing red and yellow, black and white. They are precious in. Very good. Jesus loves the little children. He loves the old adults, too, in the world. <laughs> he loves us all. Amen. So he goes, he didn't show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear him, who do and do what is right. Now, th that's what Cornelius was. He was a God-fearer. He was a Gentile, but he appreciated the God of Israel. He learned there was something different about that God. He saw the changes in people's lives because of it. And now, 
after being directed, when he had this visitation from the angel, he says, something's going on here, it's pretty good. And all those who fear him. You know the message God sent, Peter says, the people of Israel, telling the good news of peace about Jesus Christ. Jesus came with good news. How many of you like good news? How about you? We, could, we can always stand that every day. You say, they got those uh, kids out of the uh, well, you know, out of that cave system, you know, before I got here. I said, that's wonderful. Yeah. That's great news. We, oh, that's roof of this kid, you know. <clears throat> we, we like to hear good news about somebody reaching somewhere, somebody coming through from some surgery, or, or they've come through a, a, a tragic situation. We like to hear good news. Hear about the economy, good news, people getting jobs, families being strengthened, churches growing. Praying for each other. That's good news. Well, Pete, Jesus brought good news. He's Lord of all. I'll let that sink in. Lord of all. You know, Peter tells Cornelius, you know what happened around Judea, beginning at Galilee. Galilee's that area in the north where Jesus was from. After the baptism of John was preached. And John's baptism was a little different than Jesus, of course. And how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. And how he went around doing good, healing all who were under the power of the devil. Because God was with him. And you know what? Listen to me carefully, beloved. Listen to me very carefully this morning. God is always, always at work. Even when it looks like he's not. He's always at work. He's where you can't be. See, sometimes we tend to think we know what's going on. Our pride gets in the way. We're like kind of Peter. Sometimes kind of like Cornelius. But boy, we better have our ears on because God is always at work in your family and my family. Don't give up on your adult children. Don't give up on your church. Don't give up on what God wants to do with people. Lord, may your will be done. Amen? We want, because in the end, all things work together for the good, to them that love God, to them that are called according to his purpose. Because you have the Holy Spirit living in you, you have God in you. That's why in the New Testament there is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit is always there. Working and directing. Well, great, great, great message he's preaching to them, isn't he? He, uh, about Jesus, you know, <laughs> he, he, he was doing good and healing all those under the power of the devil because God was with him. And then the apostle Peter says, we are witnesses of everything that he did in the country of the Jews in Jerusalem. Yeah, they killed him by hanging him on a tree. We know about that. The Jews, yes. People always ask this at Easter time. Who killed Jesus? Very simple. Here's your answer. The Jews killed him. Bye-bye. The Romans killed him. But I'm going to tell you somebody else, nobody rarely mentions. It's that God wanted him to die. God the Father. And you say, it pleased him to slay him. It says in Isaiah 53.10. Isaiah 53.10. Isaiah 53.10 says it pleased him to slay him. God had this plan. The, the son was willing to come. Remember, even in the garden. He said, not my will, but thine be done. Remember that? And the will of the Father and the will of the Son perfectly were brought together. Even though we cried out on the cross, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? 
<laughs> That's how much love, real love will drive us. Well, after the resurrection, it says he was not seen by all the people, verse 41, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen. Now, we're told in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul will say, as many as 500 saw him in his post-resurrection appearances. Do we have examples in Scripture? By us who ate and drank with him, we know that story. After his resurrection, he had a, he had a fish lunch with them, shore lunch. And we in Michigan know what that is, don't you? Fish all day, have a shore lunch, hey. We know what that is, okay. Now, he rose from the dead. Then, the apostle says, and he commanded us to preach to the people, to testify that he is the one whom God appointed to be judge of the living and the dead. He's the judge of us if he comes in my next breath, or all the people in that graveyard over there. <laughs> when they open up someday, and they hear the voice of the archangel and the trump of God, and all over the world, he's the judge. Now this coincides the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter always end up paralleling each other in a lot of ways. When you turn to Acts 17, you see uh, Paul's great message on Mars Hill. And he tells them there, in verses 30 and 31, he says, uh, he tells those intellects, those philosophers on Mars Hill, he said, he is the judge of all. He's appointed a day in which he will judge the world by that man whom is appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the world. So it's very powerful. So he's going to be the judge. And he says, all the prophets testified about it. And again, I'll give you a reference in Luke 24, where, where you find a, 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 a Jesus reminding the apostles, that's a, the period just before you, Luke, who authored his gospel plus the book of Acts, uh, get ready for the ascension mentioned to us in Acts chapter 1. And he's telling them, look, all the prophets spoke of me, Jesus says in Luke 24. And that's what Peter is saying here. He said, all the prophets testified about him, that everyone who believes in him, and that belief means not more, it not, doesn't mean just mental assent, it means obeying and surrendering to him. It's a real belief in him. All believe in him, and, and believe in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And I want to thank you every day, Lord, that I, I can believe in you, I accepted you. I was baptized into Christ for the remission of my sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> I thank you for all of the people that have made what I am. I look back, we're all mentored by somebody. I think about people in my background as Sunday school teachers years ago at the LaBelleview Church of Christ in Steubenville, Ohio, where I grew up. I think about the camp, Elkhorn Valley Christian Service Camp, where I was baptized. And before they built that camp, they had, a, they had a camp that they borrowed from Toronto, Ohio. It was their band camp. They used to go to band, high school band, just to go in the summer and spend two weeks uh, practicing and everything. And uh, for a number of years, uh, in those years, there were uh, our churches of Christ and Christian churches would go out there to the camp. Then they were able, there was a wonderful Christian farmer in his late 90s who said, I'm going to give this whole valley to you. It's my farm. I'm going to die and have no, I have no heirs. And he willed that whole valley to our churches there. And if you go today, it's, it, it has touched thousands, just like the 
Rock Lake has thousands of young men and women who go out all over the world. I thank God for that. That's a, that's a heritage. I look at those old pictures and I go, wow. <laughs> you see, God is always at work. I think about people that touch my life. I, I went to camp. I met my wife. I, mean, I didn't know she was going to be my wife then. But, uh, you know. It's, it's so interesting. I think about Kentucky Christian College when I went to school. and People like Donald Nash and Tom Gemeinhardt and people like that that taught me the passion not to ever give up. Keep trusting. It's bigger than we are, folks. It's bigger than a building where you come every week. And I know some weeks we all don't feel like coming. Let's get real. But the best thing you can do is get your mind renewed by the power of God and strengthen you. Because knowing him is making him known. I want to give you a little close with a poem. It's a famous poem, but I want to close with it. About knowing Jesus Christ, and that's what, that's what is involved here. Because what we find is at the house of Cornelius, first the Spirit comes then, and then they're baptized. Peter says, we're going to forbid these people to be baptized with water. Because <laughs> the indwelling gift needed to be there. Not just the baptism that they received in the early church, but baptism. Listen to this old, this is a, by a man by the name of S.M. Lockridge. He was, a, he was a theologian in the 20th century. Uh, S.M., his parents named him <laughs> uh, Shadrach Meshach Lockridge. That was his name, so you can see why he just said S.M. S.M. Lockridge. The Bible says my king is a seven-way king. He's the king of the Jews. It's a racial king. He's the king of Israel. That's a national king. He's the king of righteousness. He is the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. Well, I wonder, do you know him? No means can measure or can define his love, limitless love. No far-seeing telescope can bring into visibility the coastline of his shoreless supply. No barrier can hide him. From the pouring out of his blessings, he's enduringly strong, he's e his eternity secure, his eternality steadfast, his immortality graceful, his he's empirically powerful and impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that ever crossed the horizon of the world. He's God's son. He's the sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He stands in the solitude of himself. He's awesome. He's unique. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He's the loftiest idea of literature. He's the highest personality of philosophy. He's the supreme problem to higher criticism. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the cardinal necessity of spiritual religion. He's the miracle of the age. He's the superlative of every living good that you choose to call him. He's the only one that can qualify to be the sufficient Savior. I wonder, do you know him? He supplies strength for the weak. He, he's available to the tempted, for the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleanses the leper. He forgives sins. He he discharges the debtor. He delivers captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He has regard for the aged. He rewards the diligent. And he beautifies the meek. But I wonder, do you know him? Well, my king is the king. He's the key to knowledge. He's the wellspring of wisdom. He's the doorway of deliverance. He's the pathway of peace. He's the roadway of righteousness. 
He's the highway of holiness. He's the gateway of glory. Do you know him? Well, his office is manifold. His promise is sure. His light is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. And his yoke is easy. And his burden is light. I wish I could describe him to you, but he's indescribable. He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. Well, you can't get him out of your mind. You can't get him off your hands. You can't outlive him. And you can't live without him. <laughs> the Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate could find no fault in him. The witnesses couldn't get their testimonies to agree. Herod couldn't kill him. Death could not handle him. And the grave could not hold him. That's why my king is the king. And beloved, listen to me carefully. As I'm preaching to the choir here, as I'm preaching this, you know he's coming again. He's not coming as that meek and mild, great teacher, lover of souls and lost. He's coming next as king of kings and lord of lords. He's the one who will give you the salvation that you need in your life. And I don't know if you're outside of Christ or not. You come today. You, you have a great preaching evangelist here who will preach the truth to you and tell you come to Christ. Repent of your sins. Confess his name. Be baptized as they were in the first century for the remission of your sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then to live and to let God direct your life. So you come if you don't know Jesus. You have faithful elders and leaders here that will do this. You come to him. Let's stand for prayer. And then I'm uh, going to ask maybe one of your elders to come. Or whatever needs to be done. But let's, let's sing. I think you have an invitation to him or something like that you use. Okay, let our praise team come. But I'm going to pray as they do so. Let's bow our heads as they get in place. Father, we thank you today for this gracious congregation. For its leadership. For its people. For the humble servants that have lived here and gone before. For those, Lord, that, will, that are serving now and will serve in the future. Watch over them. Give them wisdom. Give them that grace because the king is coming. Help us to take acknowledgement of that today. Help us to remember that we serve a living Savior. He's in the world today. We know that he is living. Whatever men may say, I see his hand of mercy. I hear his voice of cheer and just the time I need him, he's always near. And he lives, he lives, he lives. He lives within my heart. So we ask now that if anybody needs to know you, this might be their time. In Jesus' name we pray.